Hey everybody, welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. If you haven't already noticed, my voice sounds a lot clearer and sharper than it normally does. That's because for the very first time ever, I'm in Westgate Church's brand new podcast studio. That's right, we've got a podcast studio. It's incredible. At the end of this podcast, I'm actually going to talk to the man responsible for getting all this equipment to us and setting up for us as a giant favor to me. His name's Les Lederman. He's in charge of our creative arts, and uh, we're going to talk through that. But right now, I have three microphones that are like nice microphones in this room. I've got some headphones. I've got a mixing board. It's pretty incredible. We're in week number two of our Advent Christmas series called Adorning the Darkness, in which we examine the story of Jesus's birth in the Gospel of Matthew and how Jesus's birth is like light coming in to dispel the darkness. And I've got Steve Clifford and Jay Kim both in the studio to talk about the idea of Emmanuel, which means God is with us. We're going to talk about what that means and why that has far-reaching implications, not just for us, but for everybody. And even if Jay and Steve were not here, this new soundboard, mixing board, is so great. They could call in and I could actually mix them right into the podcast. They could zoom in and we could hear them with crystal clarity. This new mixing board is so great. I even have the ability to play music right into the mixing board from my phone. So, for example, if I wanted to play for the third straight week, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You, just as a continuing Christmas anthem, I could do that. I could just press a button on my phone and Mariah's dulcet tones would come cascading over all of us. Ah, uh, there's that piano intro. Take it away, Mariah. Ah, uh, well, thanks for joining us. And as we get into the podcast, we hope that you'll enjoy their increased sound quality and the increased amounts of Mariah Carey. Okay, let's go, because I got a 9.15 yeah. with Dana, and I cannot keep her waiting. I understand. Wow. <clears throat> I get it. She's just on Zoom. Fear. Just Zoom. Fear strikes my heart. I can't keep her Is waiting. Is this thing Okay. All right, hey, everybody. Welcome to The Afterword. I'm here in our new podcast studio with two friends. Oh, my goodness. This is sounding good. Yeah, it is. High quality. We're upping our game. We are upping our game. Pretty fancy. You know how we have to thank for this, don't you? <laughs> What, Les the, Lederman, he's like, I can't listen to your podcast audio no, quality anymore. Hasn't been good. I was doing as good as I could. Oh, no, I know. What are you going to do? Okay, well, we're going to start off with, a, before we get into the content of the sermon, the theological uh, content, we're going to have a little bit of an aperitif here for the people. We're going to play a little game I like to call True or False Christmas Edition. I have a bunch of facts <laughs> I'm going to share with each of you, and I want you to tell me if you think it's true or false. It's a fun game. He didn't warn us I about mean, this, do we? Do we both answer? You, you both answer. Yeah, okay. you both answer. All right, ready. Uh, first uh, first uh, question to both of you. The image of Santa Claus flying in his sleigh began in 1819. Not before, not after. True or false? I'm going to say false. Uh, me too. Yeah, that's actually true. Oh. Uh, Santa, the, the idea came to uh, the famous author Washington Irving, who okay. also wrote uh, The Headless Horseman. Legend oh. of Sleepy yeah, Hollow. That's a good combination. Rip <laughs> Santa <laughs> flying in a, with a headless horseman. Yeah, and he uh, he he actually had a dream in which he believed uh, Saint Nicholas soared across the sky in a weightless wagon. Wow! And that was his dream. So with, he wrote with a, reindeer, or did the reindeer come later? Uh, I think the reindeer came later. See, that's what Jay and I were. We yeah. included the reindeer, no, so that's exactly. why we said false. Yeah. You asked the question <laughs> wrong. So yeah, there. And okay, next, Rudolph has always had a a red nose. True or false? 
I'm sure. Gonna say, I'm going to say false. I'll say sure. You're, you're going to say true? Yeah. It's actually false. The original Rudolph, which was painted by uh, Montgomery Ward, or, uh-huh. or, you know, Montgomery Ward, the the uh, the, uh, the stores. Yeah. They uh, they had Rudolph with a black nose that was very shiny. Oh, interesting. Not red. Interesting. All right, ready? Christmas Mercedes came along and put the made the yeah. red nose red. <laughs> Is that right? You know, the Mercedes commercial where yeah. the red cars. Have, no, it's right. not right. I'm no. kidding. Okay. I don't know. Christmas trees are grown in all 50 states. True or false? I'm going to say false. I'll say true. It's true. Wow, all, all 50. 50 states. Yeah, that was surprising. Alaska too, huh? I, I mean, think- Christmas trees is a pretty broad category. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's let me true. let me let me explain what the Christmas trees mean. And I, uh, it's a fir tree, a fir tree. So oh. Douglas fir or a noble yeah. fir, those kinds of things. And then lastly, the tallest living Christmas tree, which is a fir tree in the entire world, is seventy-five feet tall. True or false? Wow, seventy-five. So the tallest living currently, not like. Cut down in front of Rockefeller, but like actually alive in the wild. Sure, uh, true. Yeah, I'll say true. No, it's false. What? It's actually, in Coeur d'Alene, it's 161 Holy feet. Holy smokes. It's in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Now, the tallest decorated tree wow. is actually in California. It's in uh, Kings Canyon, and uh, it's a sequoia. It's the General Grant. They put lights on it, and they call it a Christmas tree, but it's just a giant sequoia with some lights on it. So that doesn't really count, but that one stands at 268 feet. Wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. I think that's I'm, int- I'm pretty sure everybody has left the podcast <laughs> by now. <laughs> okay. So this past week we talked about um, the idea of a manual, um, which is the idea of God being with us. Um, and that's what the word Emmanuel means. So I guess my first question is, um, as you came out of this, what would you learn about this this term, this idea, this concept as you were looking into it that maybe didn't make it into the into the message or something that resonated with you as you were looking into this? Well, I don't know that I... I what I think it did for me was just refocused the extent of God's love being expressed. I mean, I, I the past week, thinking through just what it meant for Jesus to take on flesh, I, I think that's become so... Um, commonplace in our vernacular as we talk about our faith that it's actually dangerous. I think I think we just miss it. What a big deal it is for what a big deal yeah. it is. I mean, it, here's the de- basically every other world religion that's ever been has a prophet who tells us how to get to God. And Christianity breaks that mold with no. They don't have any. It, it can't be made up, right? There's no precedent for them to make something up like this. And in Christianity, God comes down to mankind. And, um, and this isn't something that came along hundreds and hundreds of years later. This is something that they were singing about. We know from Philippians 2, the great hymn of Christ, um, we know that they were singing about it right away. I mean, I just, I, I've, I've lost, I had lost some of that. Mm-hmm. It had just become too commonplace in the way I speak about Christmas for me. And so I was really grateful. I don't know that I learned anything new, but but it was I, a refocusing on it that was a, thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. For me, yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think that um, we have such a an individualized. We live in such an individualized culture that uh, it feels natural and normal to have everything about life and the world sort of orbit around us. That it's all about us, it's all about me, my desires, my longings, my preferences. And so 
in light of that, when we talk about God coming down to be with us, it kind of just makes sense. It fits into our worldview. Like, of, of course God would come down. I'm, you know, like, yeah, it's about me. God needs to come to me. Um, but against the backdrop of, uh, like, pagan world religions, it's really shocking. I mean, that's not what the gods do. The gods don't come to us. We, we humans are supposed to strive toward the divine. You know, we're, su- we're supposed to uh, present the right offerings, make the appropriate sacrifices, build the right towers, climb the right ladders, you know, to, to get closer to God. But Emmanuel is this like really shocking reversal of that, mm-hmm. of that expectation. Mm-hmm. No. And, and it's not because God's being nice. It's because God is addressing the impossibility of that endeavor. There is no way you could make your way to God. Right. It's um, it, in, in fact, the better you understand the gospel, just um, you realize there was no other way. Yeah. Because I've been asked by seekers and people who are outside of the Christian faith, why would God do this? Why, why in the world would he do this? And, it, and it's, if, if this, the way the scriptures explain to us the state of fallen mankind, yep. then there was no other way. Yeah. We, we, we cannot get to him. Right. Not in the way he wants. Uh, he, he could have established a different kind of a perfunctory, lots of law and yep. no grace and no relationship. Right. But, but if he wanted to have the kind of interaction that he seems to desire from us for whatever that's God's prerogative to who knows why he wants to do that. But, um, his love motivates us for that kind of relationship. Then there was no other way than for him to intervene on our behalf to, to make payment that we could not pay. And I know that's kind of trite also. That's another danger of this whole thing Mm -hmm. is that it becomes so common. Oh, of course he paid for our sins, but unless he paid, we were going to pay. Yeah. yeah. And if we pay, we're undone. Yeah. Or put it another way, it's it's um the first part of this is the the miracle that God actually came to walk on earth. That's part one of Emmanuel. The part two is the relational aspect, as you just talked about. Mm-hmm. The, the part of Emmanuel, God being with us, is that he wants to be with us, which is insane. It starts in the garden. He tries to do it a couple of times. The tabernacles an attempt to be with his people, to be in relationship this stuff starts falling apart. And so this is the, this is the next iteration of God's desire for relationship, which is kind of insane if you think about it. Yeah. 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 I I agree. I mean, it's interesting what you just said, Steve, because we don't want to jump past Christmas, but Christmas really is sort of a part one of a two part story. Right. And right here in the passage that we explored, you see echoes of Easter, you know, because it's, it's, uh, you know, the angel says Mary is conceiving a child from the Holy Spirit and you're going to name that child Jesus. We talked about this on Sunday. You're going to name him Jesus, which that name means Yahweh saves, God saves. And then the angel says, because he, this Jesus, who, who then means that he's Yahweh, he's God, he will save his people from their sins. Yeah. And what is that? Well, that's Easter. That's yeah. how that's how God's going to do it. That's how Jesus is going to do it. He's going to go and pay the thing, the price that we were supposed to pay. But if we paid, we could then no longer get the thing that the payment would have gotten us, which is eternity in heaven. With you know, like if we gave our lives in that way, and our lives aren't even it. It had to be 
sinless life that paid that price. So there's there's all these echoes of Easter in Emmanuel. It's just one big story. You know? Well, and and again, because it's so familiar with us, the the natural objection is uh, Jesus is not God. Mm. But that is such a sophomoric understanding of the scriptures. With his very name, yes, he declares he's God. Right. right. Emmanuel means God with, with us. us. Yeah. So he's that, and that you're, you're, and then Jesus, Yahweh saves. Yeah. It's God saves. I mean, yeah. so his name, his very name, exclaims this this great paradox. And we don't like, honestly, I don't really like talking about it that much because it's. A, that for me as a teacher and a preacher, it, I don't completely understand, nor does anybody I know, but I mean, I really don't understand what it means to be 100% God and 100% human. And so I don't like wading out into those deep waters because I don't want to misspeak. Yeah. Hmm. You know, because the errors, if you look back at the errors throughout theology since for the 2,000 years of the Christian church, it typically was an overemphasis of his either his humanity or his deity. Mm. And, and you got sideways a little bit because of that. So I, I'm a little weary of it. But the truth is, you can't help, you, even when you don't even think you're wading into those waters, you're speaking of those waters. Yeah. Because it was a necessary requirement yeah. for Jesus to be both God and man. When I was young, people would say things like, um, the purpose of Jesus or the purpose of the cross is because God can't stand to be around any sin. Hmm. And what I think people were trying to do is elevate the importance and the, the darkness and the what happens to humans when we remain in sin. But what it did kind of accidentally do is put a falsehood in, in my heart and my mind, which was that God doesn't want to be around messy. or pe- And what's interesting is it's, it's not exactly that. God absolutely does not like it when people he he will not stand for people just entering his presence willy-nilly but god can absolutely stand to be around sin because he enters into a sinful world right Mm. so he he himself can make the decision to be around sin we just can't bring our mess into you you know you think about all the priests who approached him with strange fire or the the people who touched the ark you know cavalierly there's a cavalierness in which um, human humanity just cannot just walk waltz into the throne room of God, but God Himself in this story enters into some real messiness, and that's also a hope that God actually can enter into and is willing to enter into this dark, messy sin. And somehow He's not corrupted by the sin of the world, but rather He's the one who, to Isaiah's point, clean, cleans it, redeems it, washes it. All all the metaphors that that we have. So that's also a hope of, of Christmas, I suppose. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, that phrase. I've heard that, too. God can't stand to be around sin. But, again, I think it's like individualism rearing its ugly head. Because I think behind that statement is this idea that, you know, I live my life and I see the world through kind of my own lens because I, I live in my body. And that God is somehow sort of some spirit floating in the ether and he kind of wants to come close to me, but I'm sinful. So something needs to change and that. Well, the reality is God is the immovable object. Like God is the center of the universe. So it's not so much that God can't stand to be around sin. It's actually that sin cannot draw near to God. 
And I know that sounds like I'm nitpicking, but I think it's pretty important. Yeah, yeah. God is the center of the universe. Like we do not move the sun. The sun doesn't orbit around the earth. The earth orbits around the sun. And in, in much the same way, you know, if the earth draws closer and closer to the sun, like literal, the literal sun in our, in our solar system, it's going to burn up because of the sun's power, you know? And in some ways, sin is like that. And God, as the center of the universe, he, he's immovable and it is undeniable that he is writing a particular story for the world. And he's, he's not going to change. He's not going to move. And that story is going to take place no matter what you and I do. And the goal is that we um, become a sinless people so that we can, we can thrive in that good new world, which is impossible on our own. And that's the gift of Emmanuel, that the immovable object, the sun of, in, in the center of our solar system, chooses to do the work of allowing us to be able to draw close. Right. You know, and I, I think that nuance is important. Otherwise, it becomes like kind of that individual, like God's just coming to, like, for example, Emmanuel is is certainly about me individually. God loves me. He knows every hair on my head. He knew me before I was formed in my mother's womb. But also, he knows me in so much as that I am a part of a people that he wants to rescue. And he wants me to be a part of the good new world that he's creating. And so in order to do that, he had to come and do the work I can't do on my own, which is eradicate sin from my life, impute the righteousness of Christ upon me so that I can draw close, you know, and not get burned up. Yeah. And the, and the depth of that theology that we're kind of wading into, it's beyond us, but we can approach God with confidence because of how he enters in. Mm. See, that's the, the story is this wonderful, beautiful, lofty thought of the immutability and unchanging God who has got to do something on behalf of, the, of mankind. Yeah. But then the, how he does it with a teenage girl yeah. in, a, in a lowly stable, um, running. Jesus, from the, the very first of his life, his very first breaths, he's, he's in danger of losing his life to men who, with power. And, and so, you know, when you think about that, then, then there's such an identification easily because life doesn't work uh, in an immutable way for us. We, you know, right. life doesn't rotate around. We, we can't, in some ways, we can't even identify with the greatness of God, but we can certainly identify with the, with the greatness of Jesus in his struggle mm-hmm. as the son of God. Yeah. And that, that to me, I, it, it Again, in my own life, Christmas has become too casual for me. Mm. And that's why I said, you know, one of the great benefits of preparing is is, is that I just need to think a little deeper. I, I, I felt like I needed to, you know, if it meant getting a little water in my nose, then sure enough, get in the deep end of the pool and think on this and, and dwell on this. And, um, you know, it's one of the great benefits of getting to do what I do. Right. And it's Advent is about preparing, you know, every heart prepare him room, right? There's a third aspect, it seems to me, of Emmanuel as I was like writing down like the implications and thinking about it. First is he comes to earth. Second, the relational aspect of it. Um, Steve, you often say like 
sin is not like a transaction problem. It's a relationship problem, right? right. And the more, once you're in Christ, once you're now, in Christ, right. it, it is a trans. It, I mean, it's sin is a as a behavioral uh, falling short is a problem for all of us until we're in faith in Christ. And at that point, it's no longer really it's no longer um, behavioral because it's already been paid for. The scriptures clearly testify that that's true. Sin's not a problem for the, the believer in Christ. The blood has completely covered it. What it becomes is relational, is, and that is um, we, lose, we lose our connection with the power to live the supernatural life because of sin. Right. And we break the heart of God. Right. Yeah. And the relation. And the, but the third part that it kind of reminded me is, uh, as I was thinking about it, uh, it ties to two things. Um, first, there was a theologian named John Stott who wrote this. I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the nativity. In a real world of real pain, how could one worship a God who's immune to it? And it reminds me of the grief-shared service that you and Dana have done for years. And Christmas, the nativity, the coming of Christ, Emmanuel, means also that God enters into human suffering, and he is with us through through that. And I've been in that service um, it's a time for folks who are grieving either recently or who still carry with them the pain of not having that loved one. There's a time when you have everyone stand and say the name of the person that they're missing. It's just so sacred and deep. How does that grief shared service tie to Emmanuel in your, in your heart and mind and, and how does that tie? Well, um, for many, many years, Dane and I kind of bebopped our, our way through life, and we certainly knew what it meant to experience loss. By, the, by, the, by 2012, all, all four of our parents had, had passed, and so we knew what it meant to lose someone, but um, the grief that Clay's death took us to, um, it's a weird way to say this, but it, it ruined holidays. Um, because they were, they were just such stark reminders of who was not there. Now, eventually that pain can heal a little bit and it can just, it can be a joyous reminder of, of Clay not being a part of us. But, um, after our son's death, I just came with this realization that I have, I had pastored poorly. I had not made room for those who we, I sat around and sang joyful, joyful, we adore thee, you know, and, and hark the, you know, all of the joy in the, in the celebration. And I didn't realize that that celebration for many people um, was actually super hard and painful. It didn't, it didn't mean that they weren't being obedient. It didn't make them bad people. It just meant that there was a deeper pain, a grief that, that wrecked the holidays for them a little bit. And so that's what Clay's death did for Dana and I. And so when it rolled around after, I think it was in 20, 2012, Christmas 2012, you know, nine months after his death that we, we made room for that. And, um, you know, thankfully it's not super well attended. It's just for those of us who, um, the, there's just a tinge of, you know, grief of what is not there, of who is, who is not with us. And it just gives us a time to, um, sit together quietly mostly for a little bit of time and just honor their memory and remember them and and pledge ourselves to live in a way that honors the love we had for them. Hmm. Yeah. Is there a sense in, in which um, Emmanuel can comfort in, in, in those moments? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, um, 
but it points you towards Easter. Yeah. You know, it, it, you know, um, always with hope, right. And yeah, the future it's, yeah. so it's a, it's like a lament. It's a, it's a deep recognition of the pain, but also this weird forward looking joy. Yeah. In Hebrews two, which is a Christmas passage kind of for me, it says that Jesus had to take on flesh and blood. So there hence the Advent part, but he came to defeat death. And so there's this battle component to it that uh, gives us great hope um, because the, the scriptures affirm to us that, and Jesus promised us, if we believe, though we die, we'll still live. That uh, the death in the, in the finality or the totally separated from anything is, is taken care of and right. Christ is it's done. defeated. It's death defeated. is defeated. Yeah. That's a, such good news. And again, it's, it keeps pointing back to Easter, Christmas keeps mm-hmm. pointing to Easter. It's, it's yeah. kind of this weird thing. Is is that just the way it should be, Jay? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, you know, for God to come be with us, um, the reality is he he does that for a particular reason. It's not just you know like a visit just to hang yeah. out. <laughs> I mean, he does it as we've talked about. He does it because it's it's necessary. It's necessary to uh, write the sort of concluding chapter of his story the way he wants to write it. There's only one way to do it is for God himself to lay himself down so that he could defeat death, you know. And, you know, when I think about Steve's story, I I think Steve and Dana, their story, it sort of paints a picture for us to as to sort of the the big overarching story. Um. I'm starting to read the Chronicles of Narnia with oh, my with my yes. daughter who's six, and we just we literally this week just started. So we uh, we read. Is that the magician's nephew? Is that yeah, the first magician's one? nephew. Yeah. So we just finished chapter one. We're, we read about half a chapter a night, and uh, she she we go back and forth. I'll read, she'll read, and then we'll just recap. You know, I'll ask her like, okay, so what happened? And you know, so right now we're talking about Polly and Diggory and. Polly just grabbed the yellow ring and disappeared. And so my daughter's like, where did she go? I was like, oh, we'll find out tomorrow, you know, when we read the next chapter. But I know. I know how the story ends. And what's really interesting is my daughter's six. We're so early in the story for her. She thinks this story is about two little kids named Polly and Diggory who explore a house. And they run into his uncle, Andrew. And she thinks the story is about a little yellow ring and a magic trick where Polly has disappeared. But I know that the story is actually about the universe and, and about Aslan. a lion yeah. named Aslan, who's going to defeat, who's going to give himself up to defeat death. But that's months from now as we keep reading. <laughs> right? right. 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 But for her to get there, she's going to have to read parts of the story that are not as lighthearted as what we've just read. Like I know she's going to get to a place where she's going to face the evil witch and you know, yeah, like yeah. all of that is coming. God knows that like God knows that about our lives and he wrote the ending to the story already cause he knows. And so just like, you know, Steve is saying they were kind of bebopping through life. It, it had felt loss for sure. And the pain of loss, but not like 2012, not like clay. And that's true. Just, I mean, not that everyone's going to lose a son in that way. I mean, that's a very unique pain. Sure. But loss and pain and grief, all of that is coming if it hasn't come yet. And I think our hope is the end of that story has already been written for those who are in Christ. Yeah. And um, so we can just read along. 
you know, read along and know that yeah. Aslan the Great Lion is going to give his life so that we might have life. Yeah. Astonishing. And in the middle of it, find the grace in the beautiful notes. Like at the end of the magician's nephew, there's the apple tree mm. that grows. They cut it down and they turn it into a wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that wardrobe would be the opening to Nar. It's it's yes. just all these hyperlinks and it's this beautiful thing. Yeah. yeah and the, the beautiful thing really is if, if we understand and see Christmas appropriately, then um, it becomes, you, you, it's imp- almost impossible. The better you understand Christmas, the more you'll understand Easter. Yeah. It, you, you can't take Christ casually, haphazardly, if you understand the great extent of what it meant for him to, you know, to lay aside glory. And to take on humility and to not only experience this life, but experience a very difficult life and, and arguably die the worst kind of death. Um, all, of, all for us, all for us. And so it's, you can't, gosh, if you miss that, you yeah. know, if you, if you miss it, you'll, you'll miss Easter. Yeah. Final question. I asked Jay this last week, but Steve, I, I need to ask this of you. Do you have a favorite Christmas song, a religious <laughs> Christmas song? Not like not like uh, Up on the Housetop, but an, an actual religious Christmas song that's your favorite right now. Um, like a Christmas hymn? Christmas yeah, Christmas carol? song, Christmas hymn. Yeah, I've always loved um, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Hey, that was my answer. That was his answer. Is and, that really your favorite right now? And what child is this? Oh, what child mm. is this? Yeah, those two. Yeah. Is there a ver- And they're in minors. They're oh. in minor chords. Yeah, yeah. And there, and there's just something beautiful about because um both of them have a minor chord but in the especially in the on what child of this in the chorus they go to a major chord. Yes. And it just it, it's it's like hope. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 the the pain of what Jesus is going to endure but the hope of yeah. who he is. That's so good. So I love those songs. Is there a particular artist who sings that song that whose version you love more than others? Uh, there's a guy p- pretty unknown named Bebo Norman. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's known. He's, yeah, yeah, I know I mean, Bebo Norman. Yeah. So, so, well, the three of us, I guess, know him, but <laughs> probably our, our listeners won't know him very much. But anyway, his... Um, his version. His version of, huh. of all, all of the Christmas songs. His Christmas album is actually... One of one of Dana and my favorites. At the end of the podcast last week, I played Bebo yeah. Norman's version of, of Okamo. Okamo. No, Manual. you did. I did. Not. I did. I did. Yeah. I did. Nineteen ninety-seven Joy album. Yeah. I love it. No, you. I did. did. No, there you go. We are not conspiring, Bebo Norman. If you're out there listening, <laughs> we love you with an everlasting. This love. episode is brought to you by Bebo, Bebo Norman. Norman. <laughs> <laughs> This what? episode is brought to you oh by Bebo Norman. Okay, apologies, everyone. <laughs> All right, well, thank you, guys. And uh, we look forward to uh, uh, the continuing on in our sermon series about Christmas. And hopefully it really does focus people's hearts and minds. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Steve, for being with us. And uh, we'll see you thank next you. week. Yeah, thank you. Just want to say thanks to Steve Clifford and Jay Kim for stopping by and for sharing with us so vulnerably uh, the staggering personal impact of the term Emmanuel, what it means for us, what it means for the world. I'm going to leave you with Steve's favorite Christmas song as of late, the song What Child Is This, performed by Bebo Norman from his Christmas album, From the Realms of Glory. We'll see you next week.
while shepherds watch our keeping. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. everybody, welcome to the afterward. I'm here with Les Lederman. Les. Hello, hello. Now we have a new setup here at Les. We sure do. It's a good setup. It's a really nice setup. It is filled with microphones. We're around couches. We're here in the studio and you've done this for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's uh, just part of my side hustle. You know, creating my own podcast. Side hustle. Side hustle. That's right. I'm going to do you, a podcast. With my, are uh, we going to monetize own, this? Uh, well, my own personal one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read. <laughs> I'm gonna what, read. What, what are you gonna call your your personal podcast? 
Uh, we're gonna we're gonna go with uh, less is more. Less is more. I love it. Less. That's what I would do. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Yes. Now here's the thing. There's this big board here. It's a big. It's a big exciting mixer board. Yeah, lots and, of lights. But it's also got some sound effects. It sure can does. I can I play with these? Absolutely. So again, just to let everyone know, we have a new podcast studio. Basically, because you were sick and tired of the low audio quality that I was producing on the it podcast. It sounded like you were talking into a garbage can. Oh, so. Ouch. That hurts. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I bought you your last microphone. You so did. it's no offense to you. <laughs> well, it sort of is. Uh, the other thing that was weird is whenever I put the microphone on the table and I would talk to Steve, I don't know if you know, Steve talks very dramatic. He would bang on the table and it sounded, sounded like, like, a, like yeah, an earthquake. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah. One time I left my phone on the table Mm. And it was recording, and I didn't know it. And I was getting silent notifications that were buzzing. Mm. So all through the podcast was... It was terrible. Also, can we just pause and stop for a second and just revel in the gravelly goodness of your voice? It's unbelievable. Just, you have such a great voice. This is this is what I was made for. Yeah. Podcasting. Well, here it is. Okay, so I'm going to go through just for fun. Um yep. We have three microphones here. We've got professional studio headphones. Are these sure microphones? These are sure microphones. Top of the line. Top of the line. And mm -hmm. we've got these stands. We've got a recorder board. Um, this kind of mixer. That's this, right. Um, so really, there's no excuse now for people not to listen to the afterward because if, if, if it was the audio quality before that was driving them away, there was no longer an excuse. Now no. the only... Now they're going to be driven away because of the poor content. <laughs> it is solely content related. Okay, yeah, got it, yeah, got yes. it. Okay, that's good. Uh, there it is. So we took the other variable out. There's also a nice potted plant you've put here in the middle. That's right. Is that real? Uh, nope. Okay. No. It just... <clears throat> here we Very go. Very fake. Okay, here we go. I'm going to go through these little presets. Okay. You've given me eight presets. These are like sound effects. Do you expect me to use these in the middle of the podcast? You know, if, if your heart desires. Okay. If it's fitting... <laughs> okay, well, I don't know what they are, so let's go through them one at a time. Ready? Okay. And here we go. <laughs> That's right. Welcome to our Westgate Morning podcast. show. Good morning, San Diego. We are What here. is that? This is an intro song. Hey, thanks for joining us. Can I change it? I think so. Okay, that'd be exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, that's, that's again, good morning, San Diego. We'll call that good morning, San Diego. Good morning, Ready? San Diego. Ah, <laughs> oh, audience Thank likes that one. That's... Fake canned laughter. <laughs> That's right. Is that what that? Listen, listen how thin that is. There are about three people in the room laughing. <laughs> that's that's not great. I don't know why I would use that. Yeah. Ready, next one. Here we okay. go. Okay. Oh, oh. There is. There it is. A little bit of a crowd noise. They're very excited. Oh, thank you. They're very now, excited. Does it keep going on indefinitely, or is it like a loop? No. I, I, oh, it'll just it's yeah. Just, it'll just okay. go until it's done. I see. All right. Next one. Uh, I don't know when why I would use that. Um. I don't hey, know if you'll. By the way, congratulations on your third child, Les. Oh, thank, thank you, thank we're, you. Actually, we're applauding Danielle. <laughs> You're right. All right, all right. Let's go on to the next one. How many diapers do you have in your home? Uh, I have. Uh, I have enough. I have enough to last. Oh, oh. oh. yeah. Well, maybe we should. Uh, can you tell me um, for this next one? Let's see what it is. Oh. Mm. A little trombone that, wah -wah. Yeah. Can you tell me a dad joke and then I'll use it effectively? Uh, okay. Um, how, why can't you tell when a uh, pterodactyl goes to the bathroom? A pterodactyl goes to the bathroom? Mm -hmm. I don't, why can't you tell when a pterodactyl goes to the bathroom? Because the P is silent. 
<laughs> Pretty bad. All right, here we go. Next up, let's see what this next one is. Oh, a little, ah, see that would have been that would have been more fitting. A little Yep, there it is. Next one. Oh, mm. ready? <laughs> he came home. His front door was unlocked, and his wife was missing. Next on Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> Do you know what that is, Unsolved Mysteries? Yes. Did you ever watch those? I, yes, absolutely. Those scared the living bejesus out oh, of me. Oh, yeah. And now um, they're all over podcasts. Yeah, it's People terrible. People just love hearing about it's creepy. murder. It's kind of creepy. All right. Oh. Wait. Is that a... I think it's crickets. Is that a swing set? <laughs> See, it sounds a like a... squeaky wheel. <laughs> Someone's rolling a wheelbarrow. <laughs> Or it's bat, or it's oh, drunk crickets. There, there comes our facilities team <laughs> with a broken with the, with down wheelbarrow. wheelbarrow. <laughs> I don't think that doesn't sound like crickets, dude. Yeah, it's a bad sound effect. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I kind of blame you. All right, next one, final one, final one. Final one. Let's see what it is. <laughs> oh, this is the sponsorship. That's the sponsorship one. That's, I see. Yeah, yeah. And this section of the podcast is brought to you by Converse. Converse. <laughs> Do you want style and yet also an ability to jump really high? And no ankle support? <laughs> it's Choose Converse. Converse. Well, Les, thank you for setting this up for us. Yeah, no Super problem. I'm, this glad. Is, I'm pretty stoked about this. I think this is going to make us better. I think so. And now I think, again, the only reason why people stop listening is because of the terrible <laughs> content that I generate. The content. There it is. It, All right, it. so there it is. Well, thanks, Les. All right, no problem. All right, we'll talk to you soon.